Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. The, the word that the Lord gave me for this weekend to get us started is this. Know your place. Know your place. Look at your neighbor say, know your place. Now, hey, when, when we usually say know your place, it, it's usually a, more of a negative thing, isn't it? When you tell someone, hey, you need to know your, you're probably talking to your kids. Excuse me, know your place. You are not the adult in this house, right? Uh, you know, it's usually more used in a condescending type of context, right? You know, it's not really... You know, a positive, you don't look at someone and say, know your place, as in, not typically, but we're switching that. We're switching that because for the church and the body of Christ in these last days, we need to know our place. If we're talking about kingdom rise, then how can we rise to something we don't even know we have? How can we rise to something we don't even know has been made available to us. So know your place. That's what I'm going to be talking about. In essence, it's this position in the kingdom. Because your position is greater than your condition. Your spiritual position is greater than your natural condition. And you'll find, I hope in this weekend, your eyes will be opened that that your position grants you access. I believe that this uh, kingdom rise will set the pace for every other Kingdom rise that we have. And every other minister or anybody else that we bring in, any other principle or topic we touch on will come off of know your place. If I don't know my place, I can't walk in divine health. If I don't know my place, I can't call on the abundance of heaven over my finances or over uh, 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 my, my checkbook, my pocketbook, or anything I put my hand to. If I don't know my place in the kingdom of God, then I can't walk in the, 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 the peace of God the life of God, the power of God. It all starts by knowing your place. But tonight I need to, there's two different ways we got to look at this because if I don't know the place, then I can't know my place. If I don't know the place, then I can't know my place. And in John chapter three, Jesus makes an interesting statement. This is a conversation that he's having with the man named Nicodemus. And in verse 1, it says that there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Now, Pharisees were opposed to Jesus. They were not supportive. These were not, you know, Jesus's partners in ministry. These were not Jesus's, you know, number. They followed him, but they didn't follow to support. They followed to tear down. They, they weren't interested in, in following and being a part of his crew, being a part of his ministry, being a part of, they, they came to test him. They came to derail him. They came to uh, uh, cause his ministry to lose credibility with the people. And they were using all sorts of tactics and all sorts of words and all sorts of, of elements to try to derail Jesus off of his purpose. And Nicodemus is, of this crew, a ruler of the Jews. And so it says, this man came to him at night. Notice he wasn't even bold enough to come to Jesus to have a real conversation in the daytime where everybody could see. 
Because he belongs to a, a, a group of people that are, again, opposed to Jesus. So, but he's got some real interest. You know, I believe we're walking in days where those that, uh, uh, there might be groups that oppose, but there will be individuals that truly want to know. That truly recognize we can't deny what we're seeing. The Bible tells us that opposition and trial and tribulation comes because of the word. Because of what we have to say. And because of what we have to preach. And I don't know if I need to go ahead and preface you with this, it's that the, the message that we're bringing through these uh, nights, through these weekends, through these Kingdom Rise services, this is what the devil's after. Matthew chapter 13 says, when the gospel of the kingdom is sown, then the enemy comes quickly to snatch it up. It's not just any word that the devil's after. There are some words that are ministered and taught and preached that the devil doesn't care about because it's no threat to him. But when you get the gospel of the kingdom, now he's like, whoa, wait a minute. Can't have you discovering God's kingdom. I can't have you discovering what the kingdom of God is all about. I can't have you walking in that revelation and that level of insight. But there will be individuals, I believe, that are just going to come to grips and say, there's something about you that's different. And I was walking in opposition, and I actually belong to a group that's opposed to you, but I just see something that's going on there, and, and I need to know what this is all about. I think we're seeing this in these last days. And that's this man. He comes to him at night and says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs. Everyone say signs. You do unless God were with him. In essence, what he's saying is, you know, we, we, we may not want to admit this, but I'm here coming to you at night by myself with nobody else around, just giving you some insight. We're perplexed to the point that we know there's only one way we're seeing these signs and these manifestations. So this is why miracles, signs, and wonders are so powerful. Miracles, signs, and wonders are not for the purpose of just God doing something great in your life. The signs and the manifestations, they give credence and glory to God. And they reveal the Father. Ultimately, Jesus' goal and Jesus' mission was to reveal the Father to mankind in everything he did. You could break down his life to maybe different assignments. You know, the Bible says that he came to destroy the works of the devil. The Bible says that he came to give sight to the broken, to, to the blind and heal the brokenhearted, to set at liberty the captives. Uh, the Bible says that he came to give his life so that you could have life more abundantly, right? We know all these initial assignments, but if we wanted to put all that up under one header or one, one leading mission, it would be this, to reveal the Father to you. And so these signs and these, he wasn't just walking on water to look cool, just to, just to have a new form of transportation. He wasn't telling storms to cease, and he wasn't raising the dead, and he wasn't healing the sick, and he, he wasn't doing all these, these majestic signs and manifestations that until prior to this point were very limited in the Old Testament to only a few individuals could actually operate at this level of miraculous ministry. He did that to reveal something. 
Not just for applause, not just for oohs and ahs, not just for people to stand back and say, wow, awesome trick, good, good, that's awesome, you could do that. No, it was to reveal something bigger. So the sign is not the end goal. The sign shows us there's something. And the sign was designed to lead us to something. See, you know, we, 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 we've seen revival before. We've seen revival meetings and we've seen revival conferences. and we've, we've seen revivals week in and week out, day in and day out, month in and month out. We've seen these things, uh, you know, take, you know, shape and, and take form. We know a lot of times that they can be highlighted by miracle signs and wonders. But if all we did was come to an event and then walk away applauding and saying, wow, look at all those people that got delivered. And we have no more closeness to the Father and no more heart connection with what the Father's doing and what his mission really is. Then we've really missed the mark. We've really missed the moment. So Nicodemus, he's cluing in. He's saying, these signs, there's something else you're doing, isn't there? Like, you're not just down here doing all, all these crazy magic tricks. You're, you're down here trying, you, there's a bigger work that you're a part of. There's a, a greater mission that's taking place. And we know no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. And look at Jesus' response in verse 3. Truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He says, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born, verse 4, when he is old, Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? And instantly we recognize he saw signs on a miraculous level, but he cannot obtain a supernatural mindset to grasp what these miracles are really all about. Jesus says, unless you are born again, made completely new, you cannot see the kingdom. You can see the results of the kingdom. You with me? But you cannot see rightly where they're coming from. Because the very next statement he makes, uh, you know, when he says, be born again, and Nicodemus immediately goes with trying to reconcile the natural with the spiritual. He is limited in his conversation here with, wait a minute, how can I naturally be born? How can I re-enter? I mean, you know, something as crazy as that thought came into his mind. Why? Because he can no longer understand what Jesus is truly about. This is what I'm trying to say, that the signs and the miracles and the wonders and the, and, and the mighty moves of God, they are to point us to something. But unless we take a step to really know what is happening in that realm, we're going to be relegated to a crowd. We'll be relegated to spectators. We'll be relegated to just sitting back and watching and then hoping God will do it again the next time. We usually have no problem praying the prayer of faith for someone else's healing. 
But then when we're the ones afflicted, now all of a sudden I'm, because we don't have a reality of his kingdom yet, we've just been operating out of just seeing signs and wonders and miracles. Oh God, I know you can do it. Oh God, I know you can heal. Oh God, I know you can move. But we don't really have the firm conviction and persuasion in our heart because we haven't gotten beyond just standing back and watching as a spectator, but really stepping in and entering as a participator. And that's really the goal. That's really what God is trying to do. That's really what the church is all about, is becoming participators with what God is doing in these last days. So he says, unless you can be born again, and Nicodemus is saying, what? I I can't go back into my mother's womb. Verse 5, Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, So there's just some elements that you're not going to gather until you get into the Spirit. Until you're baptized, immersed into spiritual things. That your natural mind will lock up every time. Your natural mind will not be able to reconcile. Your natural mind will not be able to get a hold of. Your natural mind will not be able to see the things of the kingdom. He says, unless one is born again, water and the spirit, he cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. But whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. And then he says this, do not be amazed that I told you you must be born again. Now, what an interesting statement. For Jesus to make. And I'm going to tell you why in just a minute. But just what an interesting statement. Do not be amazed. Do not be perplexed. Do not be caught off guard. Do not think this is something beyond possibility is what he's saying. That I said you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound. You don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. This is the only time the words born again are used by Jesus. It's the only time we use it almost, well, just for the lack of a better term, religiously. We love that term. Born again. Are you born again? Have you been have you been born again? And when we use the term born again, what are we usually speaking to? Salvation. Are you saved? Ultimately, what, essentially what we're asking, are you saved? Have you, are you born again? Are you a born again believer? Jesus in this conversation is not talking to Nicodemus about salvation. He's not talking to him about, are you saved? You need to get saved. He's not giving Nicodemus instructions on how to be a Christian. That's not even in his mind. That term hasn't even been created and won't be created until after his death, burial, and resurrection. This is not Jesus talking to Nicodemus about this is how you become a Christian. You get born again. You ask Jesus to come into your heart, 
so that when you die, you go to heaven. That's not what he's talking about at all. If you look at the context, again, Nicodemus sees signs of something. Doesn't know where they're coming from. He just knows it's, it's undeniable. These signs that you're doing, God must be with you. God must be working through you. And, and, and Jesus says, well, you have no idea. You, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. He's not giving instruction for salvation. He's giving instruction for seeing the kingdom. Look at the, look at this, look at this sentence in, in verse 3. Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot go to heaven when he dies. Is that what it says? That's what we think it says. That's what we've turned it into, but that is not what it says. Unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You will be relegated to a spectator, and the word see here is actually the word enter, which is what he uses two verses later when he says, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter. You cannot be a part of. You cannot be included in. You can stand on the outside and watch and applaud and say, man, that's amazing. Man, that's awesome. But you can't get in on this thing unless you're born again. Ultimately, what Jesus is doing is he's introducing a whole new realm of existence. That's what he's doing. Not one time does he mention the cross. Not one time does he mention the, the forgiveness of sins. Not one time does, does he mention, so when, you, when, when your birth, when, when your life uh, expels from this earth, you'll be with him. He's not, talking, he, he's not talking about a place you're going. He's talking about a place you're bringing. Are you seeing this? He's not talking about heaven in the context of when I leave this place and I depart from this place and I finally get my exit out of this place. That's why I'm saying know your place. There are more Christians that think they belong in heaven rather than on the earth. And the more and more we minimize our role, responsibility, and capacity in this earth, we continue to sit back and leave the kingdom of God idle while it's in our very hands to deliver to a lost and dying world. And we have no problem complaining about the earth. We have no problem talking about the earth. We have no problem departing the earth. But we have a big problem doing anything with the earth while it is in our hands and while we remain on the earth. Jesus' life in ministry was him constantly explaining and demonstrating what this world looks like when it comes under the dominion of heaven. Jesus' life in ministry was him revealing to us explaining to us, even demonstrating to us what this realm looks like when it comes under the dominion of heaven. When the inferior comes into contact with the superior. When the seen comes into contact with the unseen. 
There's not one thing Jesus struggled with. Well, there is one. The unrenewed mind. Of all the power he demonstrated, of all the miracles, signs, and wonders that followed his ministry, the one thing he could not do for you is change your mind. That was on you. He could present miracles, signs, and wonders as a case. He could present the word, even the revealed word of God. He could live it and demonstrate it right in front of you, but it was still Yours, ours, theirs, responsibility to renew their mind. That's the one thing he couldn't do. But everything else on this earth, he operated in complete authority and dominion over. Show me a time he struggled with sickness and disease. Show me a time he struggled with natural disaster like a storm. Or even a fig tree. Right? Show me a time where he wrestled with the demon-possessed person. Even, de- even the devil himself he conquered. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. Show me a time he struggled raising someone back from the dead and bringing them back into life, putting breath back into their lungs again. Even after four days of being dead. No, Jesus operated in complete authority, and dominion on the earth. Jesus showed us what it looks like when the earth is contacted by heaven. Jesus showed us what it looks like when this realm is introduced to that realm. Come on, I'm, I'm keep, I can say it 18 different ways until we drive this home. Jesus was not limited by the capacities and the limitation on this planet. Jesus' life was just a complete demonstration to us, a model even, an expression of heaven on earth. That when heaven comes in contact with the earth, The earth must give way. The earth must move. The earth must bow. And anything in this realm has to, by authority and dominion, bow to whatever that realm concedes. And there's no other way. Sickness couldn't stand in the way. Demons straight from hell couldn't stand in the way. Death itself couldn't stand in the way. A storm in the middle of the sea couldn't stand in the way. Come on. You got you to see what looks like when heaven touches this. You've got to see what it looks like. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are a picture of what heaven on earth looks like. Not avoiding trial and tribulation, not avoiding storms and disasters, sending you directly into the storm and disaster and knowing if I give you a word, go to the other side, you will get to the other side. I mean, that's some, that's some boldness. That's some tenacity to know there's a storm coming. Maybe we wait till in the morning or after it 
No, just send them. Go to the other side. Not the safe and secure route, but the bold and tenacious route that says, ah, what's a storm going to do? I mean, that, that kind of that thinking today will get you ostracized real quick. Walking straight into the storm that everybody else is trying to avoid. Natural storm or figurative storm. Whatever you, if the storm is, is whatever in your life. Sometimes God will send you straight into the storm. Knowing that the storm has no capacity to stand against heaven. But we don't know our place. Jesus is introducing to Nicodemus, even though he knows he can't see it, he can't enter it, he can't be a part of it unless he's born again. He's just letting them know the signs that you're seeing, these miracles you're seeing, it's because there's another realm out there. Another realm of possibilities. Another realm of how my father operates. And everything in this earth that's designed to tear you down, everything in this earth that's designed to deteriorate you, everything in this earth that is designed to, to uh, and I, there are things that we're subjected to simply because we live in a fallen world. There are things that we are subjected to that, that will not be reversed until we receive our full glory. But Jesus had no problem challenging anything and everything that came into his way that tried to stop him from achieving his assignment and purpose. And he did that by contacting another realm and bringing it in. He says, Nicodemus, you're just seeing the sign that this realm exists, but it's my father's desire that you be a part of this realm and that you help bring this realm We have no problem believing that when we get to heaven, no more crying, no more weeping, no more tears, no more sadness, no more sickness, no more disease. When you think of heaven, what do you think of? What comes to mind? Is it gold streets? Is it mansions? Is it rivers and trees and colors you've never seen before? You know, angels? And what, 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 what really comes to our mind as believers. And I wonder how much of what we think about heaven we have to unlearn so we can really dive into what heaven is all about. He uses a term here, he says, the kingdom of God. The kingdom is not a mythical, magical place. Not in the sense that we put on it. It's not a fairy tale. It's not Orlando, Florida. Come on. The kingdom is not just a place. The kingdom of God is not just a place you go. 
The kingdom of God represents this, his presence, his power, and his provision. He uses a term, he says, unless you are born again, you cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not just some place with a castle and a throne um, and, 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 you know, a place where a king rules or a place where a king lives. No, a kingdom or the kingdom of God is literally where his presence, his power, and his provision resides. His presence, he goes with you. His power, he comes upon you. And provision, what is made available to you. That's the kingdom of God. The word kingdom literally means this, a king's domain. A king's domain. It is the domain or territory over which a king rules. It's a domain. It's a presence, it's a power, it's a provision. And when he's saying the kingdom of God, he's saying you're seeing the signs and the wonders and and, and the attributes and, and you're seeing reflections. It's like you're seeing the shadow. The kingdom is casting the shadow, but the kingdom's over here. And you can't see what's casting that shadow unless you're born again. Unless you have a completely, he, he says, you can't grasp the kingdom of God on natural ability alone. You must yield to the Holy Spirit. It is a spiritual matter. But get this, just because it's spiritual doesn't mean it's fake. I mean, the Bible tells us, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 tells us. Verse 18, so we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen because what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal what are we saying there is an unseen realm that we aren't giving a lot of allegiance to credence to a a, a lot we're we're not giving a lot of attention on that's why he says in colossians chapter 3 set your minds on what things above that's where the kingdom is why does he have to give the instruction to set your mind because you're not Because we don't. What do we set our mind on? We set our mind on this. We set our mind on the tangible. We said Jesus lived with a greater revelation of what was unseen than what was seen. Jesus walked this earth with a greater knowing and a greater awareness of what was not seen by the natural eyes. That's why he said, we walk by faith and not by sight. Why? Because if I walk by sight, then I can never walk in the things of God. I can never walk in the kingdom and operate by the kingdom. But Jesus did not walk on this earth, walk on this planet with such a great natural awareness. He knew what was happening beyond, and he knew what was available beyond. See, the spirit, the kingdom of God is in the spiritual realm. It's not, it's not here or there, he said. It's not something you can point to and say, yeah, uh, just go up the road there and take a left and you'll be in the kingdom of God. No, he says the kingdom of God is what? Within you. 
It's deposited within you. Meaning you become a carrier of the kingdom. Do we need some kingdom carriers in these last days? We need to carry the kingdom with us everywhere we go. Thank God it's not some physical location that I have to drive to or geographically I can be separated from. No, I can be right because it's spiritual. But what he's telling Nicodemus is you can't even be aware of this kingdom unless you're born again. Didn't talk to him about how to get saved, how to pray the sinner's prayer. Do all the right things. Be the best person you possibly can. We talk to him about a realm, a kingdom, and a spiritual place that can actually change and transform this one. You know, everybody's searching for the kingdom, whether they know it or not. Everybody on this planet is searching for the kingdom of God. Everybody's searching for what the kingdom has to offer. Everybody's searching for purpose, provision. Everybody's searching for power. Everybody, everything people come into this earth looking for and searching for is found in the kingdom. The billionaire in the penthouse and the homeless man under the bridge, they're all searching for the kingdom of God. This is what people are looking for. This is why we need kingdom rise. This is why we need to bring attention and bring awareness to what Jesus' ministry was all about. We're not just preaching the gospel of Jesus. We're preaching the gospel that Jesus preached. And Jesus was obsessed with this kingdom. i just give you a quick run of verses here. They're going to pop them, on, pop them up on the screen for you. Uh, you can obviously jot them down as we're going through. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1, actually starting with John the Baptist here. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, because the what? Kingdom of heaven has come near. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, after Jesus is baptized of John the Baptist, he begins his ministry. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. A few verses later, it says Jesus began to go all over Galilee. Verse 23, Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the what? Kingdom, that's the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So now not only is he talking about it, but he's now demonstrating it. He's showing it to you. He's showing you what happens when the kingdom comes into contact with this planet, with this realm. Know your place. Know your place. That the kingdom is greater than anything you can experience here. The kingdom transforms What is happening here? The kingdom, uh, when it comes into contact, changes whatever it comes into contact with. And he's healing every disease and sickness among the people. In Matthew chapter 6, 
In verse 33, Jesus gives this instruction. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. The provision you're looking for is found in the kingdom. And he says to seek first, not after you've tried everything else. And I wonder this, if we seek first the kingdom, would that be all the seeking we would ever have to do? I mean, he says first, like, get the kingdom first, and then you can go seek. No, I think we would find if we would seek the kingdom, that would be the end of the seeking, and everything else, he says, will come seeking you. That's kingdom thinking. That's how he spoke about it. This is interesting. Go to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Again, we're just kind of laying some foundation for where we're going to go. But the first thing we have to understand, if we're going to operate at, in kingdom rise and we're going to really grab all that God is doing then, and, and walk in it and demonstrate it, you got to know that everything that happens in one of these services, whether it's a worship night, whether it's a prophetic utterance, whether it's a healing night, whether it's just uh, 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 words of wisdom, words of knowledge being given, however God wants to move, you have to understand this. It's all kingdom. It's all his realm invading this realm. His realm transforming this realm. See, when he gives you a word of knowledge, why do I need a word of knowledge? Because it's in a spiritual realm. And it's knowledge that I don't have access to in the natural realm. So I need to gain access to a spiritual component found in the kingdom of God. You need the kingdom of God more than you think. There's not enough credit cards on the planet to, to relieve you from your need for the kingdom of God. There's not enough banks. There's not enough money. There's not enough uh, val validation. There's not enough Facebook pages. There's not enough Instagram likes. There, there's not enough drugs. There's not enough sex. There's not enough people. There's not enough relationships that can fulfill what the kingdom can fulfill if you'll get a hold of the kingdom. You'll find everything else will fall short. And you'll find you won't want any of it if I can just get the kingdom. If I can get the kingdom, he'll bring me the right spouse. He'll bring me the right person. He'll bring me the right job. He'll bring me the right performance. He'll bring me the right validation. He'll bring me the right identity. He'll bring me the right money. He'll bring me the right house. He'll bring me to the right location. He'll move me to the right place. He'll bring me the right assignment. If I can just get the kingdom. He says, you, you, you can't even experience or walk in or understand what's happening unless you're born again. You cannot see the kingdom of God. Doesn't mean you won't see miracles, signs, and wonders. You just won't get to be a part of it. You'll just be left back having to watch and applaud. But you won't be able to step in and walk in what God is truly doing in the earth, and especially in these last days, unless we are born again and we can see the kingdom of God. I don't want to just worship the shadow. I want to go after the thing that's casting the shadow. In Isaiah chapter 9, it says this about Jesus. We read this every year in December, don't we? For unto us a child is born. Notice it says this, unto us a son is given. Notice it doesn't say a son is born. 
The child was born, but the son always has been. The word was with God and the word was God in the beginning, from the beginning of time. There's always been a son, Jesus. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, so it became a child. It was born a child, but the son was given because the the access for the son to be given was the birth of a child. He's always been. He's always, Jesus didn't show up in Matthew chapter, chapter 2 in, in that stable, in that barn, in that manger. That wasn't, no, he's always been. That's just when he made his entrance into this realm. And he put on humanity like you and I. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And we've read this verse so many times and didn't even grasp what it was because the born again are the ones that can see the kingdom of God. And it says the word, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Now, if you're living in the United States in 2022, that's a scary statement. Separation of church and state, right? It would be a tactic of the devil to make the church think we have no business with dealing in government business. But yet it states of Jesus, of Jesus, that he came here not as a religious figure. He came to this planet as a government leader, a political leader figure. Not one that would run for office. Not one that you can vote in or vote out. Not one that you can like or dislike. Put a sticker on the back of your car that says, Jesus is not my president. You can't do that with Jesus. Can't do that. No, Jesus is king. The only question is, will you receive him as king? But he is king. Jesus is Lord. It's not, is Jesus Lord? It's Jesus is Lord. Whether you like it or not, whether you voted for it or not, whether that that agrees with your theology or whatever, Jesus did not come here as a religious figure. If he did, then he's no better, no greater than Muhammad, Buddha, and any other one you can come up with. No, we've got something better. We have a government. What's that government called? The kingdom of God. The king's domain of God. His domain, his territory, his rule, his sovereign rule. When it comes to this earth, it overrides anything that's happening in this earth. He's got healing that will override sickness. He's got provision that will override lack. He's got peace that passes all understanding, that overrides anxiety and worry. He's got a perfect love that casts out all fear. He's got every answer, every solution you need, and it's all locked up in this spiritual domain called the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus came. It is prophesied of Jesus. A child is born and a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. God's answer for the world today always has been, always will be, is government. Not like the government you and I think about, because we know that's broken. I mean, I love our country. 
I, I love the United States of America. I think we do a great job, but we can't even fix or make better than what God has already instituted. And I'm a United States citizen. I'm a citizen of this country and so grateful and thankful to be one. But I have dual citizenship. My citizenship lies with heaven. My, my citizenship with, lies with a, a realm that's not even of this world. So when we get limited economically, I don't need to go to my political leaders. I've got all of heaven at my disposal. My king owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He opens doors that man can't open. He closes doors that man can't, can't shut, can't open. He, he, he will literally make bountiful, abundant blessing available to you. And people will look and say, how did you do that? In the, in the middle of a pandemic, you're paying off property? In the middle of a pandemic, you're hiring full-time employees? I told you it's abnormal. I told you it's different. It's because I don't, I don't, what's the economy doing right now? How, what's the, I said, Lord, what do you want us to do? There's times he'll tell you to wait. There's times he'll tell you to save. There's times he'll tell you to hold off. And then there's times he'll tell you, go for it. And what I have found is usually with any instruction he gives, a lot of times it will go against natural reasoning. He'll tell me to wait when it seems like I need to jump now. And he'll tell me to hold off or he'll tell me to go for it when it feels like, not, not, are, you, are you sure right, 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 right now? What? Why? Because it's spiritual, not natural. The kingdom of God doesn't take a consensus from the earth to, is it okay if we intervene? Is it okay if we invade? Is the time ripe? Is, it, is this a good time? This is what we're talking. We're talking about a kingdom beyond what we see, beyond what we experience, beyond what is happening in this natural realm. And he says his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then he says in verse 7, of the increase of his government. So not only is he introducing a government, but you want to be a part of a government that's increasing, not declining. Right? And he says this kingdom will forever be increasing. This kingdom will forever be advancing. This kingdom will forever be taking territory and ruling and reigning. Forever. You can know that you belong to a kingdom, Hebrews tell us, tells us, that cannot be shaken. I don't care what's being shaken in this world right now. It needs to be shaken. A lot of it needs to be shaken. A lot of the ideologies and the mindsets and the thinking and the things that we rely on and the things that we live according to, that all needs to be shaken. But the kingdom will never be shaken. You cannot destroy the kingdom. You can't do away with the kingdom. You can't dislike it enough. It doesn't take votes. It, it, it can't be talked out. It, the kingdom is always advancing. He says of the increase of his, he uses the word twice in case you didn't get it the first time. He uses the word twice of the increase of his government, his rulership, his authority, his dominion, the kingdom of God. There will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. Thrones 
do not live or exist in religions. Thrones are in kingdoms. There are two mindsets that the kingdom mentality will directly oppose. And most likely in this room, to some degree, we have one or the other or maybe both. There's two of them. Two mindsets or mentalities that the kingdom directly opposes. Number one is a religious mindset. Religion is the opposite of the kingdom. The kingdom is God coming to man. Religion is man trying to get to God. And every religious attempt to get to God has failed. Religion is awful. Religion is what was actually revealed in Genesis chapter 3 when Eve took a bite of fruit so she could be more like God. When you come into the kingdom, you are receiving what God has done for you and then walking that out. You are not trying to impress him. You're not trying to get his, uh, 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 you, know, tr- you know, trying to get his favor or his blessing to come upon you. You're not trying to perform. You're not up for evaluation. That doesn't mean we just go around sinning and doing what we want to do. You don't understand kingdom if you think that you can just live however you want. Kingdoms have standards. Kingdoms have rules. Kingdoms have laws. But religion says, until you do, 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 you won't be, be, be. The kingdom says, because you are, then you go do. You see the difference? Religion's been here since Genesis chapter 3. The moment she took that bite of fruit, religion entered the world. And now man has been trying to obtain and get back what God has met in Jesus for all of you. Why can't ever be good enough? No, Jesus was. And he died for you so that you can die for him. And now you can live for him from what he's made available to you. That's religion. And a religious spirit and a religious mentality will never accept the the things of the kingdom of God. And the second one, if that, if you didn't get the first one, then you're in the second one. You just go ahead and uh, I, I'm yeah I'm probably in the second one. All of us a little bit are. The kingdom directly opposes a religious men's mindset, but the kingdom also directly opposes a democratic mindset. I'm going to tell you right now, being in this country. And having the liberties and the things that we enjoy and the things that we even value. If we don't understand some things in the kingdom of God. If we don't repent. You notice Jesus prefaced the kingdom of God with repent. You notice that? John the Baptist preached repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Come on, you know it. What does repent mean? Come on, say it bold. You know what it means. Y'all are like, it's a trick question. I know I'm going to get it wrong. It means what? Change your mind. Repent means to change your thinking. 
Why do I need to change my thinking? Because my thinking is directly contrary to the kingdom. And if I don't change it, then I can't receive it. I can't see or enter the kingdom of God because I haven't repented. I haven't changed that mind. And we're always having to repent. It's not a one-time event. It's not a date that you write down at the, at the front of your Bible and say, I repented. No, I'm always repenting. I'm always renewing my mind. I'm always growing spiritually. I'm always maturing in the faith. I'm always developing in what I know. I'm always walking in deeper revelation than what I did yesterday. But those two mentalities, religious mindset and a democratic American mindset, I mean, when I say something like, you can't vote him in, right there, we're like, I don't get a say? What are you talking about? Can't go down to the polls? What if I don't like this? What if I don't like that? Don't matter. You don't get to pick them. He's not asking you. I mean, anybody in this room been consulted before this was written? I mean, just anybody. Did you get an email? You know, we're, we're, this is like a beta test. We're getting ready to put the word out. We just want to run this by you, see if everything's okay, anything that you don't like. Now's the time to, no. Because in his law is our perfect ways. Hiding his word in my heart keeps me from sin. Keeps me, from, keeps me in the standard and keeps me in, in, in alignment with the kingdom of God. In John chapter 18, just drive this home a little more. We'll wrap this up. You got to know your place. And your place is the kingdom. John chapter 18 and verse 33. This is Jesus speaking with Pilate just before he is crucified. I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation. It says, upon hearing this, Pilate went back inside his palace and summoned Jesus. Now, remember, Pilate is a government figure. He's what they called a governor. What Rome would do, the Roman Empire, why it was so great, is most nations, when they went and conquered a nation, they would take slaves from that nation, and then they would bring them back to the homeland. I remember Babylon did this, and, and that's when Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and that whole crew, they, were, they went and conquered their territory. The Babylonians conquered the Israelites' territory and then brought slaves back to Babylon to be servants and slaves there. But Rome, the Roman Empire, what they would do is they would go into a territory, conquer it, and then they would set up camp in that territory, and they would turn it into Rome. And that's how their empire their kingdom, if you will, expanded. You know how it says that Jesus came in the fullness of time? He came when there was an empire ruling the earth that looked more like what God is doing in heaven. See, we think God came to this earth, conquered it, and then is taking us back to heaven. No. God came to this earth, created this earth, Genesis chapter 1, created the earth, and then he put you and I here, on the earth and said, you rule it. So Jesus came at a time when there was an empire, there was a nation ruling that area, that territory that looked just like how the kingdom operates. 
with an expansion or a, a, a term that we use is colonization. They would colonize these territories. So now this area of Judea, even though they've got King Herod, King Herod is really under the thumb of the Roman Empire. He, he can't just do whatever he wants. So Pontius Pilate, he's what they call a governor sent from Rome. And he's overseeing this territory, making sure that it's aligning with Roman principles and Roman standards and Roman structure. He's a government figure. And Jesus is standing before him, John chapter 18. Pilate asks him, are you really the king of the Jews? And Jesus replied, are you asking because you really want to know? Or are you only asking this because others have said it about me? You know what I love about that verse is regardless of why you're asking, everyone's asking. Is he king? Is he king? Is this man the king? Is this man the ruler? Is this the man bringing the kingdom? Is this the one? See, Pilate, Pilate has some insight. He knows. He knows government figures when he sees them. Why do you think King Herod sought and felt threatened by a two-year-old baby and killed two-year-old babies all over the land? Why? Because he's a king, not just a baby. Not just some boy. This isn't just some mythical fairy tale. A king has been born. A king. And what do kings do? Kings rule. And they bring kingdoms with them. And the greater kingdom destroys the not-so-great kingdom. The inferior. I mean, we're talking literal government figures that are threatened by this man that might just be commonplace and look like you and I. This is what happens when you start bringing the kingdom. You're no longer just common. You're no longer just a a man or a woman in the earth. You are now literally at at the disposal of heaven, altering and transforming and changing everywhere you go. Your work can become a peaceful place because you're there. Let me, I'll go a step further. Your work can become a profitable place because you're there. I've seen godly, kingdom-minded employees go work at a place that was losing money, and all of a sudden, they start making money. Why? Because there's the kingdom. You don't even know what you have. At your, you don't even know who's on your staff. You don't even know who you've got on payroll that's being such a blessing to you. And when it's time for you to leave, they don't want you to leave. Because you're doing something for them. You have access to something, another realm invading this realm. They couldn't turn a profit for nothing. They couldn't turn that thing around. They couldn't make it work. But then you showed up on the scene with with your mindset and your character and your attitude and your kingdom-mindedness. And all of a sudden, things just start turning around. Kingdom businesses in these last days are going to be increasing and expanding. They're going to be selling more, making more, doubling more, increasing more, and giving away more than worldly businesses. Because kingdom principles always win out over natural principles. Getting sidetracked. Okay, 
the kingdom. This is what the kingdom's all about. So he replied, are you asking me this because you want to know or someone else told you? Pilate responded, only a Jew would care about this. Do I look like a Jew? It's your own people and your religious leaders that have handed you over to me. So tell me, Jesus, what have you done wrong? And Jesus looked at Peter, and he didn't deny being a part of a kingdom. He didn't say, don't worry about all that king business. That's a, I'm just here to be a good person. They don't like me because of the things that I say. I'm not a king. No, he fully owns it. The royal power of my kingdom realm doesn't come from this world. If it did, then my followers would be fighting to the end to defend me from the Jewish leaders. My kingdom realm authority is not from this realm. Jesus said, I know my place. And I walk in what I walk in because I know my place. The pilot, in essence, is saying, know your place. You're not no king. You can't be ruling and dictating. and You don't have any authority or dominion or power. You don't have any territory. You're no king. Know your place. And Jesus basically responds and says, I know my place. But my kingdom authority and my kingdom power doesn't come from this realm. See, you're limited. Your power comes from this realm, and you are limited to this realm. My kingdom realm authority is not from this realm. And Pilate responded, oh, so then you are a king. Jesus says what? You are right. I was born a king, meaning no one handed it to me. No one gave it to me. I was born that way. See, authority, you got to be very careful with authority because you can't just go taking authority. It doesn't work that way. Go to work on Monday and try that. Let me know how that goes for you. You can't take authority. It either has to be granted to you or you're born into it. Authority is either granted to you or you're born into it. By right of family, by right of bloodline, I'm in authority. Or because someone delegated it to me. In 2003, my dad got orders to go to Afghanistan. And before he went over to Afghanistan fighting for our country, United States Air Force, before he went over there, he had to sign over to my mom, power of attorney. And now my mom can handle things of business and things of of life as if she were my dad. It was no different. Mark chapter 16, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Tommy, if you'd come. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Then he says, go therefore. Make disciples of all creatures, baptizing baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these signs will follow those who believe. They will lay hands on the sick. They will recover. They will cast out demons. They can take up deadly serpents, drink deadly poison, and will not harm them. What's he doing? Delegating authority. 
And now when you show up and you speak in that authority, walk, it's as if Jesus himself, he gave the church, the body of Christ, power of attorney. But you got to know your place. What if a creditor tried to call up my mom and try to bully her and say, you owe this much, you got to pay it by da-da-da-da? And, and, and she's like, well, you know, I, I guess there's nothing I can do about it. I guess I just have to give in to it. I just, I just have to hand it over. But because she has the power of attorney, she has the same access. If she says, no, we're not paying it, it's as if my dad's saying, no, we're not paying it. How much of the church is being bullied by the devil, a creditor coming to try to make demand of something or try to put something on you that doesn't belong on you, but because you don't know your place, you accept it. Maybe even think God himself is doing it. Got to know our place. Kingdom power, kingdom provision, kingdom assignment, kingdom purpose, kingdom living, kingdom thinking. It's all because you know your place. And when the superior invades the inferior, it has to bow every time. He says, I was born a king. And I've come into this world to prove what truth really is. couple more verses real quick. John chapter 17, verse 15. John 17, verse 15. I am not praying. This is Jesus speaking to the Father, praying to the Father. I am not praying that you take them out of the world. Know your place. Oh, we're just all supposed to be in heaven. Heaven is my home. I'm just passing through. All these little things that we adopt and that we say, and they sound great. They sound great. But it's not the essence of what the gospel is all about. It's not owning and walking in who we are and why we're here in this earth. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. I'm praying that you protect them from the evil one. Notice he's not even praying that the devil is taken out of the world. I mean, at least, if you're not going to take me out, take him out. And he says, nope, I'm going to leave them both in that realm. Sounds a lot like Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, right? You know, even in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, in the verse, you know, 8 or 9 verses of chapter 3, in a perfect environment, there was an opponent. Paradise. There was opposition. So why is opposition stopping the church today? He's saying, I'm not even praying that you take out the evil one. I just pray that you protect them from the evil one. And then he says this in verse 16. They are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. If we're not of the world, then what are we of? It's the kingdom. Kingdom people with a kingdom assignment. With the presence of God, the power of God, and the provision of God 
all around us. Guys, this is not a, do you know where you will go when you die? I'm thankful for the glory that awaits us. I'm thankful for what is up ahead that that God is faithfully going to come send his son Jesus. And when he comes, he's not coming as a suffering, suffering servant. He's coming as a reigning and glorified king on a on a horse, declaring that the king has come. But in this time and in this moment, he's left you and I here. I'm not praying that you take them out. Why? Because if I take them out or if I take the devil out, then there's no overcoming taking place. There's no advancing of territory taking place. He's not saying Just remove all the sickness and disease so they don't have to deal with that. He says, leave that around. It's not not anything too great for your kingdom. And if they'll understand who they are and understand what belongs to them, they'll defeat sickness and disease just as I have. Don't take away trials and tribulations, but they can be of good cheer even when they come. Be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And a storm may come, evil may come, adversaries may come, opposition may come, opponents may come, but it's no threat to my people, to my church, because they belong to my kingdom. And where my kingdom shows up, everything has to bow. Know your place. That place is the kingdom of God. And tomorrow we'll talk about being kingdom agents, kingdom ambassadors carrying the kingdom everywhere we go and not just being a good person but literally destroying the works of the devil i mean literally in this community destroying the works of the devil that's destroying racism destroying hate destroying a a, a lack of value for humanity destroying ideologies that are are destroying people's lives I was just told this past week that that essentially we have no Christian influence on the campus of Valdosta State University. That one of the strongest Christian influential campus-run ministries that was there is non-existent. They shut it down. Funding. Does that sound like the kingdom of God to you? But yet I get posts because I follow that Austin State on my Instagram. They've got all kinds of meetings to help you understand your your gender confusion. Uh, Probably almost every day I get a, a, a post that talks about a meeting they're having for people that are dealing with anxiety. I'm not kidding you. And the kingdom has answers for all of this. The kingdom will help you understand your identity, help you understand your purpose, help you understand your assignment, help you understand your mind, help you understand your soul realm, help you, I mean, it it has answers for everything. These are the places we need to be infiltrating, but not just with another sympathetic, empathetic approach. I, I know you're struggling. I know it's a hard world down here. No, we need to grab people up out of the muck and the mire. We need to open blind eyes. We need to open deaf ears. We need to see the brokenhearted healed and mended. We need to see broken homes restored. We need to see the greatest marriages on the planet. We need to see children discovering who they are in Christ. All of these things, if we don't know our place, they lie in waste. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. 
If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.